And if you have your Bibles, please turn to Psalms 127 and Genesis chapter 18. And we're talking today uh, in our Vision for Your Family series about children, because if you guys know anything that you do in life requires vision, nothing good happens by accident. I mean, even people that won the lottery, they had the vision to pick the right numbers somehow. But there is nothing good that happens without some sort of vision for it. One of my favorite stories about vision is Steve Jobs, you guys all know, was the founder of Apple Computers, completely changed the way that we use technology. And when he was starting his company, he's going to different, like Hewlett Packard and IBM, and he's trying to convince them that people want personal computers in their homes, that this is the wave of the future. And these companies are all like, what are you talking about? Why would anybody want a computer at home? What would they do with it? And so they all laughed him out and, and cast him aside. So he said, well, I'm going to start my own company because I have this vision of what could be if I just pursue this. So as you guys all know, it's completely changed and revolutionized the world, but it all started out for him with a vision. It didn't happen on accident. And the same is true with our families. We all want to have great families. And that's not something that happens on accident. It happens because you had a great vision for your family that you then followed and pursued. And the greatest indicator of what your future looks like is the vision that you have now. Time and time again, when you look at successful people, it's always because they have a vision and a belief for what their future will be that they then begin to pursue. And so with your children, it's the same way. And I know when Anna and I uh, first <laughs> found out we were pregnant, it wasn't exactly the happiest day of my life at the time. We'd been trying to get pregnant for about a year and a half, and it wasn't working, and we were getting frustrated considering going to a doctor and try to see if there was anything wrong or something that we needed to do. And I remember Anna, she was crying, and she was like, why can't we get pregnant? What's wrong with you? And I'm like, well, how do we know it's me, first of all? Why do we just assume that? <laughs> like, it could be you. <laughs> and she's like, maybe you need to go to the doctor. I'm like, again, maybe you need to go to the doctor. So you could tell, like, we were real united. <laughs> and and we're sitting there, and I begin to explain to her, because you know, I'm like, I'm the priest of my household. I'm going to stand here and intercede and encourage my wife. And I'm like, you know what? I know what's going on here. This is God's blessing to us. Because this was in April of 2011. We were getting ready to come to Ann Arbor. We were planning on moving January 1st of 2012. I told Anna, I was like, you know what? If we got pregnant right now, this would be the worst thing that could happen to us. God, in his infinite wisdom and his foreknowledge, knew that we'd be planning a church in Ann Arbor. We'd be moving January 1st, 2012. So really having a baby right now would be the worst possible thing that could happen to us. Our hearts would be divided, the time that would go into it. Like, God is protecting us by keeping us from having a baby. God is so good. He's so wise. And then in May, we found out we were pregnant. <laughs> And I remember standing there, we're in the bathroom looking at this little pregnancy test, and like, I already know, like, I can do math, and I figured something has happened here. And we're waiting, looking at that little digital screen, waiting for it to say something, and like, instantly it says pregnant. And I'm like, I just grabbed Anna, and I just pulled her in tight to me, and I held her so tight. And the reason I did this, it wasn't because it was a romantic gesture, I was crying. I was terrified, and I didn't want her to see that and to ruin this happy day for her, because she's crying happy tears, and I'm like, oh God, how could you do this to me? Like, what about your infinite wisdom? You weren't supposed to do this. This is the worst possible time I could ever have a baby because a baby's due three weeks after we're supposed to be moving. I'm like, it's going to delay the move. We're going to have to figure out how to be a dad and plant a church at the same time. I was like, Lord, where were you on this one? We had this, I had a plan for you last month. What happened here? 
But that only lasted for a couple minutes. It was a long, it was a long, tight hug. Long after I should have let go of her, I was still holding her because I didn't want her to see me cry. So when I finally collected myself together and thought, oh man, we're having a baby, this is going to be awesome, I let go. And she's like, oh gosh, I can breathe again. <laughs> and I started dreaming. I'm like thinking, oh man, having a baby, this is the best day of my life now. This is going to be so incredible for us. I can't wait to have this baby. You know, we're dreaming of what it's going to be like to have a baby, what we're going to do as parents. And, you know, we started thinking, our child's going to be different than every other child. We're going to be better parents than every other parent out there. Because you know what I've noticed is all of the parenting experts in the world are people without kids. Once you have kids, you figure out you don't know anything. And so we're sitting there thinking, yeah, you know, all these other kids are... They're up all night, they, you know, they're waking up. People just don't know how to set a sleep schedule for their kid. Like, our kid's going to have a sleep schedule because we're awesome. And these kids that are always acting up and running around screaming and crying, pff, those are bad parents. They just don't know how to discipline them. They don't know how to communicate their expectations to their children well. Any one-year-old can behave all the time. If you just properly communicate, have structure for them, discipline. Like, we honestly thought that we were going to be better parents than anybody else. Especially both my sisters already had kids. And I was like, pff, they're terrible parents. I don't know where they learned that from. Our mom and dad was so much better. I mean, look at us. We're awesome. How come you guys have such bad kids? And then we had kids. And, and I just want to take this moment to apologize to every parent out there who I judged and I thought I would be better than them because my kids are just as kiddy as anybody else's kids. And I figured out real fast, I have absolutely no clue what I'm doing. I know kids need discipline, but I, was like, I don't know what to do. I've never had a kid before. And I think, you know, the first kid, that's your, that's your trial kid. You kind of see what happens, what works, what doesn't work. Then you have your second kid. Okay, this is a little bit better. And by the time I have my 10th, 12th kid, they're going to be awesome. So if I make it that far, my kids are going to be good by the end. But it's a learning process as you go through it. And what we had to do was, uh, you know, we had to, like, figure out how do we get through this? Because our vision for what children would be like and how we would be as parents was drastically different than the reality of it. What I figured out about parenting is that it's a lot like riding a bull. You jump on, you strap in, and you just try to survive for eight-second increments. That's it. Eight seconds at a time. You just keep pushing through. Okay, eight seconds have passed. I can make it another eight seconds. We can do this. I can stay on this. Because this is what my, just this last week looked like. As I knew I was going to be teaching on this, I thought, I'm just going to make a little log of what happens with my kids and I this week. So uh, a week ago Sunday, it was Saturday night, got four hours of sleep, had to wake up for church. My kids woke me up twice during that four-hour time period. And then Sunday was a long day, had people over my house, which was a lot of fun, go to bed at 1 again, and Brielle started teething, and she woke me up three times between 1 o'clock a.m. and 6 o'clock a.m. when it was my time to wake up. And this is me who thought that I would be the best at setting a sleep schedule for a child that anybody ever was. Now, when the children of Israel were in the desert, God did something miraculous. He provided food for them on the ground. There was manna from heaven. Every morning they would wake up and they'd go out there and they'd pick up the manna and they would eat it. For me, every morning I wake up and there is food on the ground. But it's not manna. It's crushed Cheerios and it's crushed goldfish. And they are just covering the floor. So I counted, I vacuumed my house 12 times this week. 12 times I vacuumed my house because kids destroy everything. They're messy. Uh, then another thing that happened is they make everything sticky. Have you guys noticed that when you're in someone's house that has kids? You go to grab the doorknobs, like, oh, what is that? Or you open the handle of a cupboard, it's like, oh, why is it so sticky? You walk on their floors, like, 
Just everything is sticky with kids. We had to mop twice because I don't, just kid ick gets on the floor. Um, I was headbutted three times, had my face clawed twice, and I was hit, kicked, or kneed in the groin five times. And then yesterday, we were taking a break because our kids were being pretty crazy. And so I lay down on my bed just to take a moment's rest. And Anna screams, no, don't lay down on the bed! And I look, and uh, there was poop on my bed. (laughs) And I was like, are you kidding me? This did not just happen. And then last night, I'm having a sweet moment with Eason. You know, it's been a crazy week. And so we're in bed, and one of the things I do is, you know, when it comes to identity, the whole rest of the world is going to try to shape Eason's identity. So what I do is I make sure that every day I'm shaping his identity. So at night before he goes to bed, I was hopping to bed with him, and we cuddle, and we pray together. And then before I say goodnight, I say, Ethan, you know what I think about you? And he's like, what? I said, I think that you are smart. I think that you are handsome. I think that you are a great brother. I think that you're a great son. You're creative. You can sing really well. I just go through this list of everything positive that I can think of to say to him because I want him to know, because there's going to be some other kid at school that's going to tell him he's stupid or ugly or not good at things. I want him to know what he really is, and that's what we do as parents is we help to shape and to set his identity for him. So it's this moment. He's just looking at me, and he's smiling, and then I finally get done, and I say, and I love you more than any little boy in the whole world. He looks at me, and this is a sweet moment. I got a little tear in my eye. He goes, Daddy, can you get out of the bed? You're making it hot. (laughs) Good talk. Good talk. See you in the morning. (laughs) And so what Anna had figured out is that there was a vision that we had for what we thought parenting and what children were going to be like, and it didn't last very long. What we have to do is we have to figure out what is God's vision for children. What is it that he's called us to be as parents? What, is it, what are children and how is it that we are supposed to raise our children? And there's this verse in the Bible that I think really, it's a short verse, but it says a lot about what children are and about how we as parents are supposed to respond to them. And it's Psalm 127.3. It says, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. So God's vision for children, first of all, it's that children are a gift. You know, children, they're not a burden, they aren't a drain, uh, they aren't something that's supposed to be endured or put up with, they are a gift from God to you. They're a reward from Him. That's first and foremost the thing that you need to know about your kids. You might not have kids, but you probably have nieces or nephews, or you are a kid, and you need to know you're a reward to your parents, and remind them of that every now and then. And this is the thing, like, Jesus loves kids, and in, in society, what happens is they're like, oh, try to keep the kids away from the adults because we're trying to have our adult time. And, you know, kids are going to say or do something embarrassing or awkward, so we don't want to infringe on adults. But this is what Jesus says. He's like, man, let the little kids come to me. Never prohibit the children from coming to me. And so when these kids are coming to Jesus, the adults are all trying to block them. His disciples are trying to be super spiritual and not bother the master. And they're trying to keep the kids away. And he's like, no, let the kids come to me. In fact, don't ever prohibit the children from coming to me. And when the kids came to Jesus, it wasn't that they were not speaking unless spoken to. I'm sure they were climbing on him, jumping on him, headbutting him, kicking him in the groin. You don't think about that happening to Jesus, but it happened. Because he loved kids. He knew that they were a gift. He's the creator of children. They were his idea. They're the gift that he gave to you. And this is the other thing that I think is really important to remember about kids. Is that if they are a gift, what does that really mean? 
When we look at gifts in the Bible, uh, one of the best ways to look at Scripture and to interpret it is by looking at other Scripture and allowing that to, to show you more about the Word. When we use, see the word gift used in the Bible, it's not something that God just gives you and says, here, go do whatever you want with it, enjoy it. Every time God gives you a gift, that gift is really His. It's something that He's entrusted you with. It's something that He's called you to steward and to give back to Him. So that's the second thing we have to know about the vision that God has for our children, is that they're his. They aren't our kids. They've been entrusted to us, but they're not ultimately ours. They're created to be sons and daughters of the living God more than they were ever created to be sons and daughters of ours. And this is what I love about gifts, is God talks about the parable of the talents. Remember, uh, the master's going away, he gives money to his servants and says, I want you to invest this in a way that brings a return to me that's in my interest. And two of them invest it wisely, and there's a, they double their money, and God rewards them and blesses them. And then the one that just buries it in the ground and gives back to God exactly what he received, he takes it away. He's like, you're a wicked servant. You're terrible. Because God says, when I give you a gift, I want you to use it in a way that benefits me. I want you to invest this in a way that brings a return to me, so that when you give this gift back to me, it's more than what you received. It's the same with spiritual gifts. God gave us spiritual gifts like uh, you know, prophecy, healing, tongues, words of wisdom, all of these things. And he gave us ministry gifts like uh, teaching, uh, exhortation, and, and uh, helps, and different things like this. We all have received these gifts, and God says that we're not just supposed to use these gifts for our own amusement. We're supposed to use these gifts to serve others and to build the church. We're going to give an account someday of how it was that we used the spiritual and ministry gifts that God gave us. We're supposed to use them in God's interest for the reason that he gave them to us for. And it's the same with our children. They are gifts from God. That means that he gave them to us to invest in them so that we can then give account to them someday when we give them back to God. We say, you gave us this, and this is what we're bringing back to you. We invested in them. We we brought them into your ways. And this is what God wants us to do with these kids. We say, well, what, why is it that God gave us kids? Why didn't he just create Adam and Eve and say, let's call it good there? Why didn't he just create 100 people at the beginning and call it good there? There's a verse in Genesis, uh, verse 18, 19, that I think is really overlooked when it comes to talking about what God is up to and what we're supposed to realize as parents. And God's talking to Abraham And he says, For I have chosen him, which is Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Now what's what's happened is God appeared to Abraham and he said, I'm going to give you children, I'm going to make you the father of nations, you're going to have all kinds of descendants, more than the stars in the sky will your descendants be. But he never really said why he was going to do this. Abraham's just like, okay, that's awesome. I'm going to have lots and lots of descendants someday. And then God appears to him later in this instance and says, the reason that I'm going to give you these children and make you the father of nations is because I want you to teach your children to follow me. I want you to teach your children to walk in my ways. And as you do this, you receive the fulfillment of the promise. So really what's happening is, as we raise our children to know God and to follow him, they become children of the promise. What was the promise? God said that through you, I'm going to bless all of the nations of the earth. That's what God's up to. What God's doing is he's building for himself a family. 
He started by revealing himself to Abraham, one man, which turned into one family, which turned into an entire nation. And these are the people of God. These are God's families, his sons and his daughters on the face of the earth. And then what's happening is he says, but I'm going global with that. It was never supposed to be just one man, one family, one nation. He says, I'm calling people from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, people all over the earth to come and to be a part of my family. The reason that God gives us children is because he wants to expand and to increase his family. He wants more sons. He wants more daughters. Most people have children, and it's a desire that most of us have in us because we're created in the image of God. We're created in his likeness. He wants to have children. He wants more people that he can express his love to, and that's the way that we are. It's the way that God is. So God is trying to build up a family. So the reason that God has given you children what it is that he wants to do or what he wants you to do with the children that he's given you is to raise them to know him, to walk in his ways, and to one day decide that they are going to enter into the family of God by faith in Jesus. The day where they come from, there was a day where I said, I might be the son of Ken and Barb Brown, but I began to recognize one day that I have a heavenly father who loves me so much a father that I have been called to follow and to serve and to walk with and to experience his love and his grace and his mercy in my life. And that was the best thing that my parents ever did for me was that they taught me to follow Jesus. See, really what we have to do as parents is that we need to pastor our children. And that's the third part of God's vision for us is that he's, children are a gift, they are his gift, and that we as parents need to pastor our children. And that might seem like a weird way to put it, but that's exactly, what does a pastor do? They encourage, they exhort, they teach you to follow Jesus, they teach you about God. Well, that's what you've been called to do with your children. You are the pastor to your child, and you have far more influence than any pastor on a stage speaking to them or any children's pastor or youth pastor could ever have. You are the primary pastor for your children. And this is what God says. It's not only have we been called to teach our kids to love and to follow Jesus, but we've also been called to prepare them to walk into the good works that God's created them for. It says in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's masterpieces. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Every single person on earth was created as God's masterpiece. He created you exactly the way that you are for a reason. He gave you the gifts, the skills, the abilities, the interests that you have for a reason. And what you need to do is to recognize that over your children, is that my kids are God's masterpiece. And they weren't just created to know Jesus and to follow him, but they were created for good works that they were supposed to do. There is a calling that's on their life. And now as a pastor, the primary thing that a pastor does, Paul said in Scripture, is that they train and equip the saints to do the work of the church. So what you have to do with your children is you have to train and equip your children to do the work of ministry. That's your primary responsibility. You have to pastor your kids. And in order for you to be able to do that, it means that you have to have some sort of a prophetic vision about what it is that God has called and created your child to do. What is it specifically that God made your child to do? Now, here's how you figure that out, and this is how you pastor your children, I think. I'm just going to try to fly through this. Is that, number one, you have to pray. If you want to be a good pastor to your child, you have to pray for them like crazy. 
And Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, he's his spiritual father, he says, and Timothy, you're my spiritual son. And so in that first chapter of 2 Timothy, God, or Paul gives a lot of fatherly advice, and we can look at this example to see how it is that we as parents need to pastor our children. And he says in 2 Timothy 1.3, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. Now, I never knew how much you could pray for someone until I had kids. Now, I used to pray for people. I prayed for myself a lot. But when my, my son was born, my prayer life was ignited. As my kids get older, when my kid gets sick, let me tell you, I don't stop praying until my kid isn't sick anymore. Amen. I mean, my heart's just broken for my son or daughter. If they have a sniffle, I'm like, oh, Jesus, please take the sniffle for my child, you know? And when something bad happens, it's even more. You, you learn how to intercede for someone when there's something wrong with your kids, and you're just coming before God and saying, God, move on their behalf. Would you work healing in them, or would you work encouragement in them? Whatever it is that the need is there. But what would happen if we didn't just pray reactively to situations, but what if we were proactive in our prayers? And that's what Paul's saying. It's like, I'm praying for you all the time that God would pour out his blessings on you, that God would pour out his provision on you, that God would put a hedge of protection around you, that God would be your constant source of encouragement and strength. You know, the, the life that I live now is because of the prayers that my parents and my grandparents and other family members were praying for me. I avoided so many pitfalls and other dangers in life because of the supernatural protection and provision of God over me. We need to pray proactively for our children. Pray for everything for them. I mean, pray for all these things like God's protection, provision. Pray for their future spouses. Pray for their calling. Pray that God would confirm the identity that they have in them. I mean, everything that you can pray for, pray for your kids. And then number two is ask for wisdom. I used to think I was a pretty wise guy, and then I had kids, and I found out just how stupid I was. Like, there is nothing that makes you feel more ill-equipped to do something in life than being a parent. Like, I'm supposed to pastor this child. I'm supposed to lead them to Jesus. I'm supposed to help them uh, prepare for the work that God's called them to. Like, how, I don't even know what it is that God's called them to. How can I do this? And this is because you need wisdom. You need divine wisdom from God so that you can, first of all, recognize what it is that God's called your child to do and then know how it is that you can lead them and prepare them for that. And James 1.5 says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now God promises, he says, I am going to give you wisdom. It's not, I might give you wisdom. He says, I'm going to generously give you wisdom when you ask for it. So you as a parent, you don't know how to be a parent. You don't know what you should do in a situation that you find yourself in. You don't know how to how to model Christ or lead your children to Jesus or, or how to know what it is that God's called them to do, then you ask for divine wisdom from God. And one of the things I love about the Holy Spirit is that he reveals to us truth. He fills us. I mean, when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, it says that we have the mind of Christ now. That means that we can hear from God the things that God wants us to do. And that's an incredible thing. I, my secret to parenting all the things that I've done well as a parent is because I said, God, I don't know what to do. Can you give me wisdom for this? And he gave me wisdom. All the times I think I know what to do, I'm like, God, I got this. Don't worry. I don't need to check with you. Those have been disasters. Absolute disasters. So the Holy Spirit is our advocate. He is our friend. Man, take advantage of that. 
daily say, God, you said that you would pour out wisdom generously on me. I need the mind of Christ. I need divine wisdom in how to parent my children. Ask for it and you will receive it. Number three, you need to help them identify and use their gifts. 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. That means every person has a gift that God's given them, which also means then that since children are people, that every child has gifts that have been deposited inside of them that they are supposed to use to serve other people. Now, the problem with gifts is that everybody else can recognize, you can recognize the gifts that everybody else has. Like, oh, I wish I could sing like them, or I wish I could play a sport like them. I wish I could speak like them. But people are really bad at recognizing what your own gifts are and then how it is that you use these gifts to serve others. What you need to do as a parent is to, through God's wisdom, and you recognize the gifts that he has put into your children and then help them to see those gifts themselves and to encourage them to now use these gifts to serve other people. There was a, a young man that I met, and he was like, I don't know what to do with my life. I'm like, well, what do you like to do? He's like, I like basketball. And that was it. The only thing that he loved in this world was basketball. I was talking to his mom, and she was saying, you know, I don't know what he's going to do. He doesn't know what to do because the only thing he likes is basketball. And I said, well, that's a gift that God's given him. And a lot of times people say, well, how can he use a gift like a, an athletic ability to serve other people? And a lot of people in church would say, well, that's not a, a spiritual gift. That's just playing basketball. But that is a gift that God gave this man. That's a passion that God put inside of him. And what you can do with a gift like basketball is say, I might not be good enough to play pro ever, but I can certainly coach some kids. I can love a team I can model and demonstrate God's love for them as I coach them and I invest in them and I encourage them. That's a platform that God can give you. Whatever gift it is that you have, God will use that for his glory. So help your children discover what their gift is and then help them see how it is that they can use it in God's kingdom. Number four, you need to encourage them to be bold. 2 Timothy 2.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Some kids just seem like they're fearless, and some kids seem like they're scared of everything. The other day, I was, was Eason, and, and he was scared. He, was, he came running inside because he's been outside playing. He's like, I saw a worm. And I'm like, so? Like, you're scared of worms? He's like, yeah, I'm scared of, he said, I'm scared of snakes, worms, and little lizards. I'm like, when have you seen a little lizard? And so I was like, well, let's just, you know, Take this one at a time. So, why are you scared of worms? He's like, they bite. Like, no, they don't. Like, let's go find a worm. And I picked a worm up. I'm like, where's his mouth? Because I knew it was too small for him to see. I'm like, this thing cannot bite you. Like, do you want to hold it? No, it bite. And I'm like, so we just kept walking through. Why you don't have to be scared of this? And then he goes like, I'm scared of deer. I'm like, what are you? What are you scared? Of? I'm like, why are you scared of deer? He's like, they bite too. And I'm like. <laughs> So there are fears and insecurities that we all have in us, and most of them are silly reasons. Like, he got bit by a ladybug last year, so now he thinks everything in the world is going to bite him. But that's not the spirit that God gave us. God gave us a spirit of boldness. He gave us a spirit of power, of a sound mind, of self-control. And you have to have these things, because being a Christian and following Jesus is a hard thing. Everybody in America says they're a Christian, and you know why they say that? It's because none of them have ever read the Bible. If everybody in America read the Bible, I bet the percentage of people that say they're a Christian would drop off drastically. 
But when you decide, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open this Bible, I'm going to see what it says about God's will for my life, and now I'm going to follow this out, you're going to encounter resistance. And I tell you what, our children are going to face it more than we ever have. They might actually, we've never faced persecution. People say, oh, you're weak-minded, or you're stupid, or, you know, stuff like that. Our kids could actually face persecution. If we don't teach them now to be bold, if we don't teach them now not to be scared, but to stand up, to follow out God's call on their life, no matter what the cost is, then they never will. If we don't teach them that God's call on your life is more important than anything else, and that it's worth leaving everything behind for, and we're stepping into the unknown for, then our kids never will. And they will never live up to being everything that God called them to be. They will never live out using their gifts to serve others. And what that means is that they will never have the satisfaction and the joy of living out God's call on their life. And it means that other people won't be blessed because they never lived out the fullness of what God's called them to. We have to teach our kids to be bold. We have to teach them to be fearless when it comes to following God's call in their life. Because every time that you follow God's call, it means that you're going to leave some things behind. You're going to leave behind comfort. You're going to leave behind security. You're going to leave behind the known. And you're going to step into what looks like lack. You're going to step into craziness. You're going to step into the unknown. And if you're timid at your heart, if you're fearful, then you'll never do it. And then lastly, we have to model it for them. You know, kids are little mimics. That's what I've discovered. Everything I say, my kids say, for good and for bad. The things I do, my kids do. And I can teach my kids all of the right things, but if I don't model it for them, they will never do that. Some things are best caught, not taught. You can't really teach someone how to follow Jesus. You lead them into that. They follow you into that. You can't give someone directions to a place you've never been. And this is what God says in Deuteronomy. I think it's chapter 4. And he says, When you were with me, when you were at Mount Horeb where my presence came down and I spoke to you, that was the place that you learned to follow me was in my presence you learned to follow me. And now I want you to teach that to your children and to your children's children. But the first thing that happened to them was they had an encounter with God themselves. The parents learned to follow Jesus. And it was only after that that they were able to teach their children to follow God as well. You know, when I look at my kids, I want them to just be passionately in love with God more than anything else I want them to love Jesus but they will never do that unless I first show them what it looks like to passionately love Jesus I want my kids to have a love for scripture to study the Bible to just breathe it in and to consume it but if I'm not modeling that for my kids if I'm just telling them hey go read your Bible but I'm never doing it myself then they're never going to learn to love the Bible if I want my children to be prayer warriors, people who seek after God, who learn to live on their knees, beseeching the King of Heaven to come and to move miraculously on their behalf and on the behalf of others, if I'm not modeling that for them, my children will never learn to pray. If I'm not living a life of where I love the church 
and I love what God does as we all gather together and we worship him and we learn about him. If I'm not showing my kids the importance of that, of gathering together every Sunday with your family and seeking out God and encouraging and serving each other, then my kids won't do that either. Half of all kids, when they go to college, even though they went to, to church growing up, when they go to college, half of them walk away from the faith and never come back. And a lot of times that's because we teach them that things like sports are more important. I love sports. If you see me outside of church, you're probably having a Tigers jacket or jersey or t-shirt. I love sports, but you know what? I recognize that the King of Kings and what he does in my life are a lot more important than what sports could ever offer me, even if I made it to the top. We have to model this for our children. And if I never show my kids what it looks like to live a life that's bold and fearless, stepping out and pursuing everything that God's called me to, and following his plan for my life, and taking risks, taking chances, stepping into the unknown, then my kids will never do that either. The vision that you have for your kids starts with you. The relationship that your children will have with God starts with you. If we want our kids to go farther than we've ever gone, if we want them to walk in the ways of God, then it means that we have to press into the presence of God ourselves. Because we are the model that our children will follow. You guys stand with me this morning. Let's spend a moment praying together. This is the thing, as I've been preparing this message this week, what God's really spoken to me is, again, we've just been talking about the end, is that this starts with me. That everything that I want for my kids, how I want them to be as people in their relationship with God, it comes down to me. And I had to evaluate my heart and say, am I living the life that I would want my kids to live? So let's just spend a moment before the Lord. Those of you that are parents, you know what, if your kids are, are gone and moved out, you're still a parent. You're still a pastor. If you don't have kids of your own, you are a child of someone else. You might have kids of your own someday or you have nieces or nephews. Or If you don't have any kids in your life, go serve in our kids' ministry and you will have more kids than you know what to do with. But you are around kids, so it's important that you know how it is that you model Jesus to the children that we encounter. So God, would you search our hearts this morning? Would you know us? Jesus, thank you for the gift of children that you've given us. And God, we do want to raise them, to walk into the fullness of your plans for them. God, we do pray that you would pour out protection over them. God, that you would be their provision. God, that you would make them strong, that you would make them bold. Father, that they would recognize the gifts that you've poured into them. Father, that they would step into the ministries that you've called them to. Jesus, that they would be world changers and history makers, that they would become true sons and daughters of the living God, joint heirs with Christ, members of your own family. But Jesus, would you evaluate our hearts this morning? And would you show us if we're modeling the life that they've been called to? Would you reveal to us what needs to change in our own hearts and our own lives so that we can teach our children to love you and to follow you. This morning, if God's speaking to you and you want to commit now before the Lord, say, God, I want to be used by you. Would you cleanse me? Would you purify me? Would you enable me to be the parent? Whether you have children now or not, because you might someday, 
But if you're saying right now, God, I want to come after you. I want to pursue you, to commit and dedicate my life to you so that I can show my children what it's like to do that. So that you can have that moment where you encounter God in his presence and it changes your life so that then you can teach your children. And would you just raise your hands with me because this is speaking to me today because I want more for my children than I have right now. Would you raise your hands? This is your sign of commitment before the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And let's pray this together. Father, move on our hearts. God, would you reveal yourself to us? God, would we encounter you fresh and new this morning? God, we repent of our sins. We repent of our laziness. And we ask that you would do something new in our hearts that you would stir up a fire for you and for your kingdom in us. God, that you would fill us with boldness. That you would fill us with love. Jesus, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we can model, so that we can teach this to our children. God, let us be sons and daughters people who fearlessly step into your plans and callings for us and use us we pray to expand your family in the name of Jesus we pray amen amen